Blog Talk Radio. This is Mark Grace, and you're listening to Ready to Unload with Cal and Sandpete. For the live recording of Ready to Unload with Callan Sam Pete, the New York Sports Talk podcast and stuff. All kinds of stuff. I am one of your hosts, Steve San Pietro, coming to you live from Bayside, New York. I'll be joined very soon by my partner in crime, my partner in grime, my partner in rhyme, my partner in his Skype is not working. Mr. Brian Calneva. Cal no Skype. Cal no Skype. Cal Skype. Cal. We are also uh, lucky enough to be joined by uh, our producer, Bishop, not the Bishop, just Bishop, pop culture PJ, whose uh, everything is working for him. It's all working. Oh, there he is. He's dancing. If you could see PJ dancing right now, I can't tell you how big your smile would be. You should see him dance. Hi, Pete. At least someone, someone appreciates my art, and for that I thank you. Look, I, I don't think I'm out of line saying that, and I'm going to go ahead and say it. I'm going to use this word. I hope you don't get offended. Chubby guys dancing is good times. Well, you know, it's like it's like this. I'm I'm not a good dancer, but I'm okay. a memorable dancer, okay. right? <laughs> You'd have to say that. Steve, I'm not a good dancer. I'm a great dancer. Okay? No. I, I, I'm not good. I'm magnificent. I just I just leave an imprint. Yes. Once you see it, you never forget it, really. Say so if you fall down. That's on right. the dance floor. You leave. And it's and it's a uh it's an outdoor pole. So it's like a barbecue. If you fall down, you leave. Is that cow? Have cow. Can you hear me? Yes. All right, there we go. Dream has come true. The he Mets fixed that himself, by the way. What? What's that? He fixed that all by himself. He did without any help from our producer. No, from our, our tech support. Yeah, who just our producer who just sat there <laughs> as if it was happening to somebody else. Well, look, the coffee's hot, people. That's when you get it. <laughs> as if. As if the tech problems were completely unrelated to the show he's producing. He's just watching you. 
If you guys were in the same room, you would have kicked him right in his Angry Birds t-shirt. You have an Angry Birds t-shirt on. I sure do. I sure do. I enjoy me the Angry Birds. That's dopey. What do you old school mic working, Cal? No, I got I got the headset working now. Okay. Somebody's uh who's making that noise? That racket. I I don't hear a racket. Cal, do you see what I'm doing? I'm going old school. I do. You see this? Like a studio. Everybody should know out there that I dusted off our old mixer from when we first started doing this show. Cal and I invested in a mixer and microphones. Even a little look at this, look at this little I got the microphone stand out and everything. Everything. Yeah, it looks like radio here in uh, Bayside. And I can tell you this. I got out the giant cardboard cutout of me screaming into the microphone with uh, uh, an Islander's jersey on and flame. Right. I'm going old school. Hello, Cal. Welcome. Good, good. I'm, I apologize for the for the technical difficulties. Please. The, eight-year-old, the eight-year-old was using the headsets before me, so. Blame it on the children. Is this a thing? Do I Always. Have, uh, do I have this to look like a ten, uh, uh, 10-year-old? Cal, you have the 8-year-old. Uh, you both, I think, have 6-year-olds. Uh, is this what I have to look forward to? Just blame everything on the children. Yeah, they're, they're, they're basically like built-in little scapegoats when you need them to be. It's great. All about on the gas prices. Is that their fault, too? The price of gas? Uh, yeah, the price of tea in China. That's because of them. Have you scapegoated Lily yet, PJ, for the price of gas? If she didn't need to be driven all over the damn planet, that would drive down demand, wouldn't it? Is Lily in an election year? Well, you know, she's definitely a topic of conversation. I'm sure she's going to get brought up at one of the debates. That's right. Uh, Cal, welcome. How was your week, buddy? Good. It was good. How about yours, Steve? It was good. I thought we were going to have like a really sort of quiet, nothing to talk about show. The Mets are off. The Yankees are off, blah, blah, blah. We're going to do the big unload in a second. Um, and then uh, uh, all this talk at a jet camp uh, at the OTAs today, and then we both read a great article by Green Lantern uh, Jet Jeff uh, Capolini, who writes for uh, CBS uh, WCBS online, right, Cal? That's right. He writes this tremendous article uh, that I, I he wrote it yesterday. I happened to catch it at like five o'clock today, and it, it just this tremendous article about the Jets and how the media narrative is there and. And they're going to be better than people think and ignore the media media, uh, media narrative. And, oh, it's just I, – I forwarded it to you guys immediately. Immediately. It rocked my world. So I do want to talk – we weren't going to talk about Jets at all, but we had to talk about Jets later. We got it. We have no choice. We have a choice. We – well, this is our show. Okay. We don't, well, we don't really have a choice. I quote Sean Astin when I say, this is our time. It's our time down here. Okay, up there, it's their time. And that all ends when we ride up Troy's bucket. Who's with me? Anyone? Uh, all right. All right. Okay. That was nice. Little Goonies action? Okay. I'm I'm motivated now, that's for sure. You're, you're either motivated to find treasure or do a uh, tremendous podcast. Well, and since I'm not looking for treasure tonight... Let's do a tremendous podcast. It'd be Josh Brolin. <laughs> He's handsome. Josh Brolin. I tell you what, that Josh Brolin. He's not Clooney, but he is handsome. He's a next tier down. He's, he is a next tier Clooney. Yeah. He's a poor man's Clooney. 
He's he's an acceptable Cooney replacement. Clooney, not Cooney. Jerry Cooney. <laughs> not a Jerry Cooney. But... No. Remember Jerry Cooney, the Great White Hope? Jerry Cooney, sure. Wow. Oh, I remember him. Did he fight Ali? He fought Larry Holmes. Larry Holmes, that's right. He got his ass handed to him by Larry Holmes. He did not. He was knocked out in the 13th round. That's true. You're right. You're right. My bad. He survived. He was a, a local guy from, from Long Island, Huntington, Long Island. Is he really from Huntington? Absolutely. Nice. Uh, by the way, way to slide that music in, PJ. And he fought uh, He fought Larry Holmes, I think it was, I want to say 1982. Yeah, 82, 83, somewhere in there. Way to put your producer shoes on, though, PJ. Slides the Rocky Montage training music in, right? We weren't even looking. Well done. So he went 13 rounds with Larry Holmes. He did, and this was at the height of Larry Holmes being the man. Was there a Larry Holmes height? Larry Holmes uh, almost broke the record for most uh, wins. The biggest, longest winning streak as a, as a heavyweight champion. By a guy named Larry. He was 49-0 and 0 at one point. Yeah. He beat Ali, too, did he not? He did beat Ali, but at, at that point, that was 1980, and Ali was a shell of himself. Right. <laughs> a pasta shell of himself. Because we're talking uh, talking boxing tonight. <laughs> I'm ready to unload. Let's, let's, let's talk the fight game. Let's, let's talk about something A, nobody talks about, and B, completely out of our, our wheelhouse. A and B. I lost you, say? I think you were usurped by the A and B uh, clip. Uh-oh, we lost Cal again. Sugar. Oh, well, well, we'll we'll work on getting him back. So ask me about my... <laughs> I'm back, I'm back. You bet. You All bet, right, good. You bet on Cal because we are literally one more technical difficulty away from PJ talking about the Les Mis trailer. Oh, we're not just going to lose the West Coast. We're, we're going to lose. That's a hundred downloads, right? Gone, gone. Lickety split. Oh. On. Uh, are you using the onboard mic now, Cal? Is that what? You're yeah. Now, now I've gone to the uh, the webcam mic. Oh, that's fine. Does it sound okay? Sounds fine. It sounds fine. What did you say about us talking about boxing? Because it sounds, it looked funny. I well, no, I said I could actually, I can actually talk about 1980s boxing. That, I was a big fan of boxing back when I was eight or nine years old. Is that right? My my father was a was a diehard boxing guy. I can see that. Diehard. I can see that with your dad. Yeah, to the point where he used to make the joke that if Jerry Cooney had married Rosemary Clooney, he would be Jerry Cooney Clooney. That's about the reaction it got. Good night, everybody. All 132 times he, he told that joke. He did He did revise it in later years to, to make it George Clooney and not Rosemary Clooney. But the problem with that would be then Jerry Cooney marrying George Clooney, which just didn't work. Well, I'm going to stop you right there. No, no, no. This was this was like in the late 90s. This was not recent. This is, it depends on what state you're in. Well, we were in New York. Right. Could work in certain states today. Right. And, again, it all comes back to Clooney and him being the, the litmus test for being gay. He always is. Completely acceptable. That's always is. Some couple. They can they can box out. They can uh, 
you know, box. Right, Jerry Cooney's got to be in his mid-60s by now, no? And probably dumb as a post by now. Punchy. I mean, he was punchy in 1982. Unfortunately, you're probably right. Unfortunately. Uh, you talk about concussions in football? Yeah. <laughs> How is every boxer not concussed every time they fight? I, I don't know. I'm, I, I, I would think uh, nobody seems to be up in arms about that. Well, I, nobody seems to care about boxing anymore. No, because they're all gone. You know, I met, uh, I didn't meet, was in the same room as Mike Tyson. I told you that story, right, Cal? Uh, refresh my memory. <laughs> we'll get to the big one in a minute, but this, this is sports related. It's all, yeah, it's boxing. So <laughs> Ready to have with the boxing special. <laughs> Uh, can, why, can you dial up Larry Merchant? <laughs> can, hey, Bert Trigger, may he rest in peace. We well, can't. well, that's why I went to Larry Merchant. Talk about a character. Maybe Tubbs, uh, Studs Turkel is available. <laughs> Barry Tompkins. <laughs> Ring Lardner Jr. See you around. <laughs> Talk about the sweet science. Uh, they're all clowns, by the way. Every boxing announcer is a complete clown. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I mean, th- th- that's like a, a prerequisite is to just be all complete, except Lampley. No, Lampley's the straight man. Lampley's <laughs> absolutely bizarre, though. <laughs> Lampley is, the, he's, uh, uh, anyway. So, uh, oh, your Tyson story, yeah. Remember when the, uh, this is going to be like a name drop central story, but I got to say it. Remember when the uh, NBA All-Star game was in New York? I think it was 97. At the Garden. Okay. Uh, I think it was 97. At the time, I'm uh, I'm broke. I'm waiting tables. I'm a struggling actor. As I remained for the next better part of the next 10 years. <laughs> so, a buddy of ours is the manager at the Flamingo Club over on the west side. So, he says, listen, Sunday night after the All-Star game, right? Gary Payton, the glove, okay? Uh, has is having an after All Star Game party, private party. I have heard this story, but go on. And I want you, and you guys should come. It was me and a couple of buddies with Angelo, oh, good guy, Angelo. Angelo, uh, the restaurant I worked in, Cal. All we did was speak in Goodfellas. That was it. Oh, of course. It's all. If, if it wasn't for that movie, we never would have spoken. <laughs> so we go. A couple of us go. I drive there in my '87 Duster. Or whatever you know that was uh, merited to me that I <laughs> from my mom when she moved to Florida. Uh, you know I park it like seven blocks away because people are pulling up in limos. Well, yeah, <laughs> everybody was there, Cal. Everyone, every big sports star at the time in 1997 is there. 1997. Who would who would have been big at that point? Sports. You have Michael Irvin. You have uh, Jerome Bettis. You have Gary Sheffield. You have uh, Orlando Pace. You have uh, every NBA guy: Vin Baker, Gary Payton, uh, uh, just everybody. Everybody big is there. Actors, celebrities. It's crazy. Quite the who's who. Yeah, we go there, and uh, the line is like around the block. And Angelo sees us, and he takes us back way. We cut the whole line. <laughs> like, speaking of good folks, we wind up going through the back. Who? And in. Who are you? Right. Who are you guys to do that? They're screaming at us. Wow. <laughs> like, people are on that line, like, getting out of limousines and stuff and screaming at us. How can you let them in? Like, this, that, and the other thing. 
And we're going through the kitchen just like in Goodfellas. And we're even, of course, quoting Goodfellas as we're going. You too. You're always here. You too. <laughs> Don't you have a job? Um, and we get in there. And it was just crazy. Like for the first three hours, we just like hung out on the wall and just watched. That's great. So my two big stories. One, uh, I wasn't drinking. I had to work the next day. So I was only having a couple of drinks. Um so I go up to the bar to get a Heineken. I literally have $7 in my pocket, like literally, and that's it. That's got to get me. Now, everything's on the arm there, obviously. Everything's free because it's Gary Payton's big party. But I I have $7. <laughs> that's tip money. That's all I have. So I go up to the bar to get a Heineken, get a beer or whatever. Gary Payton comes up. He's like off the dance floor. I mean, it's right out of like a movie. Like he's like, you know, like dancing off the floor. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to need seven more bottles of Cristal for my people up there at that balcony, blah, blah, blah. I'm not even kidding. And he sees me. <laughs> I could not have looked more out of place. Oh, boy. He sees me. I'm in like $20, like a $20 shirt, like a $15 sports jacket. I mean, I just, it's a disaster. <laughs> he sees me at the bar waiting for beer, and he was awesome. He looks at me and goes, my man, what do you need? Like, what, what, what do you need, man? You having a good time? I said, Gary, this is Gary. Because we're boys. Gary. Yeah. <laughs> this is incredible. I'm having a great time. You know, thanks. He's like, what do you want? You want a bottle of Crystal? What do you want? You want something? What do you want? Uh, no, uh, Vouv. That's what he was drinking. Crystal, but Vouv, the champagne. Right. I said, no, I'm, you know, I'm all good. <laughs> he says to the bartender, get this guy whatever he wants. And he's not being condescending at all. Really nice guy. He's not. He he's not. No. He's All not. right. Then he goes off. An hour later, we hear you hear the rumblings. Tyson's here. Okay, like people are now talking about this. Like Tyson's here. Uh huh. So at this point, me and uh, it was me and uh, a couple of buddies, K-Mac and, and Colin, Terry, of course, the great Terry Skinnell, uh, who at this point is now talking to people. Because that's the kind of guy he is. So he's talking to like Gary Sheffield or something. <laughs> it's like Kevin and I are hanging out by the door. And Tyson walks in. And the only thing I can compare it to, I was right there. I was like six feet away from him where he walked in. The only thing I can compare it to is like being in a room when somebody lets out a tiger. <laughs> Literally being in a room. Like a club. Right. But having the cage be the – and I don't mean this in any sort of racial – that's not what I mean. I'm just talking about pure fear <laughs> that goes through you. It has nothing to do with his race, color, creed, none of that. Just Mike Tyson. That the, the instinct was in me, and uh, it was like somebody was at the door and lifted up a cage <laughs> in a full-length fur coat, you know – just looking magnificent. And I, it was a natural instinct. I grabbed the wall. <laughs> I backed up to the wall, and there was like a handrail, like a chair rail. Yeah. And I reached behind me and just grabbed onto it. I mean, it was it, that was the only thing I can compare it to. It's like being there when a caged. Just something crazy is going to happen. Well, did did you at that point were you thinking he's going to look at you and say who the hell is this guy and what is he doing at this party? That's correct. No, but wait, that, that so it gets better. <laughs> you're already feeling that, 
then later on in the night, this place was huge. It was a huge club. And it had like a balcony upstairs. Really big balcony. And that's jam-packed. And you had to go up there and to go the back way to the bathroom. So I'm walking across this balcony. It's got to be like 18 to 20 feet wide. And there's a bar against the back wall of it, right? And then the balcony overlooks the dance floor. Right. So I'm walking... I'm walking, it's jam-packed. I'm like, you know, trying to go in between people, you know, how like a, when a club is packed, whatever. And there's Tyson on the rail of the balcony, screaming at this guy. And now it's on. And he, Who is he screaming at? Some guy looked at him wrong. I mean, literally looked at him wrong. And he's about to kill him. And now people are holding him back. People are telling this guy, are you crazy? You know, it's Mike Tyson. Right. All this commotion's going on. I'm trying to sneak by because I'm like, here's where he hits the white guy. <laughs> here's where Mike Tyson hits the white guy he doesn't recognize. I'm going by and Rory Holloway, uh, played by Malcolm Jamal Warner in the movie. Right. Um, his buddy, Mike Tyson's buddy, is at the bar. And as I'm going by, the commotion's going on. Rory Holloway taps me and he's like, oh, man, what's Mike up to? <laughs> As if this has happened so many times, every time we out. And I said, Cal, I said, oh, you know, Mike being Mike. <laughs> Again, like Tyson and I are boys. I run in these circles out with these people all the time. You know, you know how Mike is. Mike just being Mike. Oh man! Going, I went downstairs and proceeded to go to the bathroom next to Orlando Pace. <laughs> this, is, this is all happening in the same night. Was that a urinal next to Orlando Pace? Meanwhile, Tyson gets thrown out of the place, down the back stairs as Kevin's coming up the back stairs. So they're dragging Tyson out of the place, uh-huh. and, and skinny little hundred and thirty-five pound Kevin McWalters <laughs> come up the stairs, <laughs> clinging to the walls. <laughs> Unbelievable. And that was just a, a, a legendary night. Wow. Nothing to really um, – nothing can really uh, put into perspective your body, I, I guess. I don't know what I'm trying to go for here, but I'll just give you the visual. You're standing at a urinal, and at the urinal next to you is Orlando Pace, who's six foot eight, 375 pounds. Mm-hmm. And whose leg is the size of your torso. And you don't want to look over. Obviously. No, no. You don't even want to glance. You hope he doesn't glance over at you and start laughing hysterically. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, quite, nothing quite puts your size into perspective. I'm talking physical size, not your... Well, obviously. Anyway, uh, that's the big umbrella. Good night, everybody. <laughs> That's my boxing. Oh. I walked out. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I had to get that out. We can do. We can do sports.
Mike Tyson. Brought to you by Mike Tyson. I was egregious. Good lord, that was loud. Oh my that god. Was, I could if you were talking, I couldn't hear you. What happened? What you you hit the max button. I did what max hit, button? The, the big red button that says don't touch, you touched it. Hey listen, we all love the song. Don't get me wrong. But I couldn't hear a word you were saying. Oh. That's why I was bopping along to the music. I see. I'm sorry. I, it's very difficult to figure out the levels with this thing. Not with the, sure. you know, using the old school microphone, but the the sliders inside. I didn't have it any higher than I usually have it. Was it blasting? We're gonna have we're gonna have to run a tech afterwards. I think. <laughs> yeah, don't run it before. <laughs> why, would, why would you do that? <laughs> Let's run it after the show. Here's what I'll tell That's you: right. it wasn't it wasn't any louder than it normally is. You just couldn't hear me. I couldn't hear you. Oh, okay. All I was saying was the P.S. to that story is I left those guys there, and the next day uh, I hear about Colin dancing on a table with Vint Baker, of <laughs> <and a> shrimp, <laughs> and, and Kevin talking Gary Sheffield into coming to the Mets in free agency. <laughs> wow. Well. Kev was like, by the end of the night, I had him. I was like, I think you both might have been overserved that evening. Yeah, but you know what? Twelve years later, I'll bet you Gary Sheffield was thinking about that conversation. I'll do you one better. McWalters is at the game where he hits his 400th home run. Wow. As a net. His 500th home run. For, uh, five, 500? Maybe. Yeah, I think it was 500. I, I find that hard to believe. Okay, big unload. Let's talk about baseball. We want to talk about baseball, right? All right, sure. I want to talk about baseball. I'll tell you why. I I have had it with the feel about the Metropolitan and the Yankees into the bargain. How's that? Go on. I want to, I'm going to read what you wrote to me today. What I wrote? Right. I'm going to sanitize it for our listeners. What did I write? I'm going to read what you texted when I... Uh, told you guys about uh, the great Jeff Capolini article about the Jets, where he took the media to task for uh, conveying a narrative that's not accurate. Ready? Go. This is from Brian Calvi, otherwise known as Cal. Uh, today at uh, 6.38 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You might have wanted to leave the time stamp out of that one. Why? I was supposed to be eating dinner with my family. At the same time, I was sending you a text. A really long text. I was very angry. I'm sorry. Did I say uh, 6.38? I meant 2.38 in the morning. Listen, I'm not going to let them listen to this part of the show. Don't worry. Better? <laughs> they, they will put the pieces together when I said, just a minute, I have to go do something. And got up from the table and went and sent a text. And sent an angry missive. <laughs> I did. I fired I fired a missive off. Here it is. So I sent out this article. Cal, 
Quite frankly, I am sick and tired of every D-bag snarky reporter setting their own agenda and trying to tell me how to feel and think, ellipses. If I am happy about the way the Mets are playing or if I'm intrigued and excited about the Jets' season, then that's what I'm going to do. I don't give a crap about anyone trying to be negative for negative's sake or trying to make me feel bad about anything. Wow. And then, and then Cal, in an overcoat, screamed out, I'm mad as hell. And I'm not going to take it anymore. Stuck my head out the window. Um, it's a it's a great point. It relates to something we're going to talk about later in the show, that whole daily news thing with Lupica and Myers, Cal, where in the same paper, five pages apart, guys are making fun of each other, essentially. Yeah. Without even knowing it. But the, the narrative with the Mets is that they have this 24-game uh, span here in June. And that uh, if they are all against winning teams, if they can somehow get to the end of it and still be a few games over 500, then maybe we'll have a season. But probably not. Well, that's the thing. Don't ex- don't expect it. Well, we're at the 50 game mark, so let's do both teams at 50 games. Okay, 50, ga- 50 games, June 1st. Got a lot of milestones here, a lot of uh, markers that we can use. Yes, and let's let's third of the way through the season. Let's leave the reporter crap out of it. Okay. okay. Let's leave it out of it. I'd love to because that was the whole point of of me saying that because I'm tired of it. And let's just talk about baseball. The Mets are 28 and 22? 23. Mets 28 and 23. Five games over 500, currently four and three on this homestand that I said they'd go eight and three on. So what does that mean? They have to sweep the Cardinals in a four-game series. Okay. That hasn't been done ever. In the history of ever. In the history of baseball. Um, but they look, they've played again, uh, over expectations. They made some more moves today on the bullpen, which imploded uh, last night. They've had injuries. Uh, they get Josh Holy back on Friday. Whoever thought you'd be ecstatic about that. Uh, hopefully they get Ruben Tejada and Jason Bay back. I think there's two stories here. One is you and I on this show since February have been saying that, and this is not a break arm patting ourselves on the back, have been saying what about the Mets? Uh, keep an eye on them. They're not going to be as bad as you think. That, exactly. That using the Arizona Diamondbacks from last year as a model, why can't they be a competitive team if they stay healthy and get two things to happen? And we said it in February. We said it, and it's happened. David Wright has a comeback year. Johan Santana is healthy. Period. Mm-hmm. Said it. Well, David Wright was hitting 400 until this recent cold streak, and he's still gotten a number of big hits even when he's been cold. Right, but he's now now he's batting 365. Yeah, cut him. Um, and then Santana and Santana has been fantastic, way more than they could have possibly expected. And it's a different team when Johan Santana is taking the ball every fifth day. So we've said it. I'm not surprised that this team is competitive. We said that there was also a – there might be an us-against-the-world feeling in that locker room, and there clearly is. That's, you know, that's, that's a theme that we picked up on very early in spring training when this group got together. And towards the end of spring training, everybody else started kind of jumping on the bandwagon because it was like – it was very fashionable to bash the Mets all winter with the Madoff stuff. And with Jose Reyes leaving, 
And that was that was the narrative was how how bad the Mets were and how you know how negative everything was around them. But then I guess I guess everybody felt got tired of of the same narrative over and over again. So right towards the end of spring training, maybe like a week or so before camp broke for for opening day, you started to see the stories about hey you know maybe maybe they aren't that bad after all. And it was like everybody was hedging because they showed some of these things in the spring that we were talking about about, you know, this us-against-the-world mentality and these young, hungry kids that were fighting for a spot, you know. And they have they, they started the season that way. They, they won the first four games of the season, swept the Braves, and they really haven't looked back since then. And, you know, we're a third of the way through now, and I think it's time to to start taking them seriously. Well, we're not going to be allowed to do that. You and I can do that. We're certainly not going to be allowed to because we know what the narrative is with the media, and I, and I hate to bring it back, but we, we know what it, that is. So the narrative is going to be, uh, okay, well, they're not as bad as we thought they were going to be, but they still stink, or they're still not going to win a wild card, or they're still not going to be in the playoffs, or they're still not going to win the NL East. Fine. All that aside, what we also have seen, Cal, is that there's injuries all over the NL East. Nobody is running away with the division. The Phillies are in last place. Okay, and just lost Roy Holiday for four to six weeks. And somebody, somebody resembling us said that they were one pitcher injury away from being the 2009 Mets. Now, I don't think they're going to lose 90 games. I don't think they're going to win 90 games either. Okay. Mm-hmm. The NL East is quote-unquote wide open because of injuries. Do you trust that the Nats are a 100-win team? No. Do you trust that the Marlins are a 100-win team? No, quite frankly, I don't trust that any of these teams are 100-win teams, and that's what makes it so interesting. I don't think any of these teams are 95-win teams. I think 90, 90 to 92 games probably wins that division because they're going to beat up on each other. Mm-hmm. They play each other all of September. That's right. So they're going to beat the crap out of each other. So from the Mets' perspective, I don't believe in the Braves. I think there's a hangover there from last year, which nobody seems to talk about, and then they go on an eight-game skid, and everybody's like, oh, I guess the Braves aren't as good as we all said they were. Well, you know what? You all put their pitching in the Hall of Fame. Maybe take a break. You know, maybe we can just relax on Tommy Hansen's bust in the Hall of Fame just yet. Well, they can't hit either. You know? No, I know they can't, and there's a hangover from blowing a 10-game lead. They couldn't hit. That was that was the issue, was that they couldn't hit. Their pitching was going to save them. Right. Now the starting pitching has not been that great. With the Mets, if you look at the guys that have come up from Buffalo and contributed, I mean, we, we don't need to go through the day-to-day. We do a weekly show. We don't need to kill the day-to-day. But the interesting thing has been, to me, Omar Minaya has suddenly been resurrected as like this guy who – I guess the farm system wasn't that bad. And I guess, you know, Omar Minaya wasn't that bad of a GM. And, and you and I have dispelled that here. Mm-hmm. I mean, we still think that, right? That he was a bad GM? We still think that's a myth, right? Here's what I'll tell you about Omar Minaya. Nice. Here's what I'm going to tell you about him. His strength, always. He had he, he always had one strength. He continues to have one strength. What's his strength, Steve? It's not a mastery of the English language in a press conference. Well, no, of course not. But what what is Omar Minaya really good at? Scouting. Yes. So yeah, the guys that, that they the guys they brought in under his watch 
are are panning out because they're good ball players. Because Omar Minaya has an eye for talent. He has zero eye for business or management or communication, which is why he failed as a general manager and why everybody hates him. Because he couldn't stand up in front of a press conference and speak intelligently to a, to a, a group of people. Intelligently, Cal, honestly. Or, or both. Both. He couldn't, he couldn't communicate effectively. But that's why he I, – I think that's a big ri- reason why he couldn't communicate effectively is because it's difficult to do so when you're lying. Well, that that too, but um, and and that also that also speaks to what kind of trust level the Wilpons had for Omar Minaya. You know, Danny Alderson doesn't have that problem because they trust him and he's got a, a, a better track record. But I think the thing with Omar Minaya is that the one thing that he did well was identifying talent, and and you're seeing the fruits of that right now. So in a way, he gets a little bit of a bad rap, a little bit. But he was not a good general manager. And this team is not performing the way that they are because of Omar Minaya. You can't give him – he didn't get credit for the fact that they're 28 and 23 and they're a game and a half out of first place. He didn't get credit for that. He gets credit for the players that are on the field performing. But you've got to give credit to Terry Collins and Sandy Alderson for putting this group together and getting them to play as a team, and, and creating the chemistry. And this is the, the, the age-old question that we always come back to, is the chemistry issue. How important is chemistry? Is chemistry only as good as your record? If you're bad, then your chemistry is bad. If you're good, then your chemistry is good. And, and, and I, will, I will, to the, to the grave, I will insist that if you have a team that likes each other, and ha- especially in baseball, that has to play with each other every day, day in, day out, 180 days out of the year. If they like each other and they're for each other and they play as a team, you have a better – it doesn't automatically equal success. You have a better chance for success. Totally agree, and I've heard two interesting things. I have two things. One, along those lines, Collins said this week this is the best locker room he's ever been in. Yes. Best he's ever been in. He's been in professional baseball for 50 years. You know, or 40 years, whatever it is. Best locker room he's ever been in. That these guys, they, they come up from Buffalo, and there's a lot to the idea that they saw that guy last week. They were just playing with him. Yeah. Do you feel like you can play here because he's here? The other thing is, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna go ahead and take some credit away from Omar Minaya. In okay. What you just said. Who's their second baseman? Daniel Murphy. Right. Who who did Omar Minaya give a four year thirty six million dollar contract to? You, you did that with a couple of guys. <laughs> but if if he was so keen on these players that are playing now and producing, then why did he give Luis Castillo four years and thirty six million? I understand Murphy played a bunch of different positions. Right. They knew that Murphy didn't have a position. They knew that David Wright played third base. They knew they had Ike Davis. Did it just occur to them that he could play second base? No, it didn't. And yet he felt the need to give Luis Castillo four years and $36 million. Why did they give Jason Bay four years and $65 million if they were so high on Lucas Duda? These guys are playing because Sandy Alderson and Terry Collins gave them the chance to play. It's a very fair point. It's not like Omar was like, oh, we can't. We don't need to spend $60 million on Jason Bay. We have Lucas Duda coming up through the ranks. Here, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put one on a, 
I'm going to put one on a tee for you here, Steve. Nice. You ready? Uh-huh. All right, take a couple of practice swings, because here you go. Omar Minaya's greatest find was R.A. Dickey. Yep. Picked him up off the scrap heap. Omar Minaya. R.A. Dickey's not here today. Omar Minaya didn't find him. Go. And nonsense. Nonsense. Why is it nonsense? <clears throat> because of what you just said. Exactly. Terry, Terry Collins put him in the rotation. Right. Funny thing about R.A. Dickey being signed to a AAA contract or whatever to fill out a AAA roster. Do you think Omar Minaya for a second saw something in R.A. Dickey? I mean, come on now. Come on now. And the only reason he ever came up was because Johan Santana went down, John Main went down, Oliver Perez went down. The entire rotation, they were down to like two healthy pitchers. Essentially, R.A. Dickey was Miguel Batista. That's correct. They needed a warm body to throw in there. That's correct. Right? Uh, R.A. Dickey was Miguel Batista, who was a veteran, warm body, who was pitching well in AAA. And, and, and Omar Minaya knew nothing about nothing. So I, I, I am the first person to give credit where credit is due. But it's come up so much with this team because of the way they're playing, because they've gotten contributions from Justin Turner or Tolley or Duda or Neuenheis, for example. These not high picks. These were not guys that Omar Minaya highly regarded. You know who was? Ike Davis. Ike has struggled. I, I still think Ike can break out of it, but Ike has struggled. Fernando Martinez, he's not with the team anymore. Okay, I know Wilmer Flores is ripping the ball up down, and, and but he can't get past single A. Hey, remember a kid by the name of Brad Holt? Brad Holt. Another first round pick. pick. Draft pick. Who couldn't find home plate with a map in you know, place and a GPS. I just, I just drew a walk off Brad Holt. <laughs> I mean Eddie Coons Reese Havens I mean these were his big guys and his high picks I don't even know if he knew Kirk Newheis was he certainly couldn't spell his last name hey now a lot of people can't spell his last name be true anyway lastly on the Mets they have a huge four game series to close out this 11 game homestand against the Cardinals and you have the top of the rotation going up Santana Dickey, Nice, and I believe probably Batista on the Monday. Uh, on the wraparound. They'll probably bring Batista back. Right. But th- these are a very big four games. If you can split and get two and two, you'd be happy. You'd have a six five home stand. I don't love it, but I'd sign for it. You're over five hundred. Um you had two games that you easily could have won there. Yeah. Um but I would love to get three out of four, Cal. I would love to get three out of four. Yeah, well, of course you you would love it. Um, St. Louis is St. Louis is up and down right now. St. Louis is beatable. They got a couple of really good pitchers though. That they're gonna they're gonna face. They're gonna face Wainwright. They're gonna face Lance Lynn. Who's had a ridiculous year. Right. They're gonna. But they're not gonna face Garcia. Season. No. Uh, so they're probably gonna face a, a lesser pitcher. In any case. It's a very big homestand because then they go on the road and they play the Yankees and the Devil Rays and, or Devil Rays, and the Rays and the Orioles and uh, the Nationals. Nationals, the All Star Nationals. Hey, have you seen um, 
the Harper exhibit at the Hall of Fame yet? No. Did they put it next to the Strasburg exhibit? It's right next to it, so you can get them both in the same day. You're going to want to take a day, though. It's going to take some time, right? It is. It's going to, you're going to want to take a day. Do they have every ball he's ever thrown from the outfield lined up in a display? They do. They also have a whole uh, exhibit about how he plays the game right. Uh, you know, he, or I should say plays the game hard. They have a whole exhibit about how hard he plays the game. Right. He's the right way. He's a throwback. Throwback. That's right. Hockey, yeah. though. There's, there's a little bit on that, too. Vince Good. actually narrates a nice thing on that. <laughs> about how he's cocky, but he's good. Uh, yeah, check out check out this check out what Bryce Harper did last night. You're never gonna believe it. And guess what, folks? He's only nineteen. Yep. Yep. What did he do last night? You have a hit? I don't even know what he did last night, but whatever whatever he did, it was unbelievable. Sorry, you're imitating every announcer ever. <laughs> right. Whatever he did. It unbelievable. I got to tell you something about this kid. Uh, I tell you what, I have been around this game a long time. Reminds me of Mantle. Has to remind everybody of Mantle. Oh, boy. He's, he's the best prospect I've seen since Mantle. Can he drink like Mantle? That's my question. No. Oh, look. He's 19 years old. <laughs> you better not be drinking like Mantle. Hey, you know who's a Hall of Fame plaque I can't wait to see? Who's that? Yeah, how old he is? Yeah, he's he's nineteen. <laughs> or he's twenty now. He came up last year and he was nineteen. Yeah, nobody's talking about Mike Trout though. Nobody's talking about Mike Trout. He's he's uh, he's pretty good. Yeah, he's he's okay. Yeah, I I got to watch a little bit of him against the Yankees this week. Pretty pretty good, and uh, awfully quiet about it. Well, that's why you, that's why he's not in the Hall of Fame. He's like such a nice kid. Yeah, no, you gotta you need to be, you need to be brash and irreverent. And have a faux hawk. A faux, yeah. Oh, hawk helps. God, just flip a bird. And uh, and also, uh, I don't need this. You know what was great uh, in that HOF uh, exhibit, Cal? Yeah. It was a whole thing. I think it was Joe Garagiola who narrated it about um, innings limits. All right. Yeah. All right. Innings limits and Tommy John surgeries. Right. Revolutionizing uh, pitching. (laughs) 160 innings. That's it. Good night, everybody. That's why. That's why when people are telling me, in in all seriousness, we're we're joking about the Hall of Fame plaques because (laughs) somebody has to. Um, But in all seriousness. Am I supposed to believe in the Nationals as a contender when they're going to shut down their ace at 160 innings? Well, that's what they're saying. Nobody, nobody will know for sure until that until that time comes. But, but that's okay. Let me let me explain let me explain something about that. Please, uh, it's it's very similar to a situation that happened 14 years ago with a young Texas kid by the name of Kerry Wood. I'm familiar with his work. He just retired. But just retired. It's an appropriate time to to talk about this. About Wood. Take take it back to 1998. I was young. The steroids were flowing. And handsome. Um. PJ had a lot more hair. 
Uh, the Cubs were in uh, the Mets were also in the pennant race too, but the Cubs were in a pennant race for the wild card, and uh, and they have this young fireballing rookie named Kerry Wood, 20 years old, struck out 20 guys in its fifth major league start. Doc Gooden again. Doc, he was a phenom. In all senses of the word, a phenom. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I fear I feel pretty secure in saying the Cubs probably had him pitch. 482 innings that, that year. Roughly. Approximately, give or take a couple. But they, I mean, they, they they drove him into the ground, and he threw, and he threw. And, and I remember thinking it at the time, 14 years ago, that I, I don't think this is good for the kid's arm. I, you know, I mean, this is great and all. In fact, I, was, I remember being very bitter at the fact that the Cubs ousted the Mets on the last day of the season to make the playoffs and thinking, well, that's good. You know, enjoy, your, enjoy your playoff run when your ace breaks his arm and, and can't pitch again. Wow. And, Castradamus. I was, I, was really, I was really bitter about that 98 sure. run. But, um, but now you look, at, you look at Strasburg. And I get the fact that they want to put this innings limit on him, but how tempted are they going to be when you get to late August, early September, and, and they, they are in a pennant race for the first time ever as the Nationals, and they've got an entire fan base starved for, for, a, for a playoff team, and now you've got your ace. And Steven Strasburg is at 157 innings on September 4th. I, and they and they got a and they got a big game against the Braves or somebody. What, what are they going to do? I don't know. Me, I I pitched the kid because you know what he he hurt his arm last year with innings limits. Yeah, I know. What's to say? Look at the Jabba rules. Right. Look at what the Jabba rules did for Jabba Chamberlain. Sent him on a trampoline. Look at what the trampoline did to Jabba Chamberlain. They were they weren't part of the rules though. Look at what Dunkin' Donuts did to Jabba Chamberlain. I believe that the donuts and the trampoline are addendums to the rules now. That's right. <laughs> like if you look them up, there's an appendix. The codicil. <laughs> uh, it's going to be interesting to watch, but it doesn't have me as a believer in the Nats. Sorry. How about Miami? Do you believe in the Marlins? Uh, only if they sing the Will Smith song over and over again. Yeah, going to Miami. <laughs> I don't know why I have uh, Speedy Gonzalez and or Pepe Le Pew singing that song. <laughs> Seems appropriate. And Speedy Gonzalez sings Will Smith's Going to Miami. <laughs> Me amo Miami. What, what's the, isn't there like a Spanish verse in there somewhere? Yeah. <laughs> it's not good. I, I, I don't, I'm not sure I remember it. He's shaking his head furiously right now. <laughs> As if to say, get off fat, get off fat. Uh, hey, speaking of the speaking of the Yankees, Steve. Yeah. What do, you, what, what do you make of what do you make of this team? This team that can beat up on teams that are under five hundred, but once they play a contender, seems to struggle a little bit. Wait, what? That's Not- my, that's my Yankee theme. Oh, okay. I like because, because the Yankees buy everything. Right. I, yes. I got that. They can't buy love, though. Good job. When, Thank you. When we have to explain the cards. 
I, I, I think I knew what you were. Is that a turkey behind you, PJ? Is that a, is that a, a child-made turkey? It's a... <laughs> It's a head. It's a headless turkey, actually. We are on uh, Uvu uh, doing a video conference call as we do this there show. Used to, there used to be a head right there. And PJ, and it, and all, it's the, the wings of the turkey are made out of multicolored Indian corn. I believe they call it. Excellent. It's May. No, the kids' decorations do not come down. Is that is that a tree up there for Arbor Day? Yes. <laughs> Arbor Day 2011, if you can read it. And then there's Mother's Day. I think that was uh, when Dick. Danny was in preschool. Probably. Right. <laughs> Danny, circa 2004. Yeah. Before he was born. We used to have really cool, expensive works of art. Right. Um, at, at one point, back when we were, you know, childless and wealthy. Right. Now yeah. you have headless hand. Now that's all come down and everything is macaroni art. Um Things glued to plates, and we uh, love it. Uh, we're looking at where cow. <laughs> cow not to be undone. This is a lizard made out of clay taped to a piece of paper. That wins. Well, I'm just just showing that we got. They're all and, over. The place. And and when did your wife do that? <laughs> she did this yesterday while she was home. It was nice. <laughs> Jay, please put a blue number one ribbon on that. <laughs> that wins. Oh, but I, I get PJ. There's things glued to everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we. I, I mean, I just love, we're, you know, we all are doing the shows from our respective uh, man caves. Uh, people in real life don't get man caves. Only on HGTV. Right. Some of them are just the studio, PJ. I have a studio. It's a man cave. That's a man cave. Uh, you don't have like the the usual prerequisite man cave stuff in there, though. You have a studio. Well, well, what do you mean? I mean, there's there's no beaded curtain. There's no poster of Mike Piazza. <laughs> oh, 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 I see that 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 sort of stuff. Okay, no man cave. No, I I do I do have uh, a, a piece of art. It's orange foil behind gl- black glass. And it's uh, the four faces of the members of KISS done in orange foil. Oh, I have a Beatle one of those. Yeah. In, done in red foil. I got it at the flea market. The Long yeah, Island. It's hideous. It's hideous, but I'll never throw it out. Someone, someone brought it to me and said, you like loud music, don't you? <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> you got to keep something like that. Oh, yeah. No, that's a, that's a keepsake. Well, I'm sorry I diverted us, but the turkey was stealing the show here. I'm gonna I'm gonna demand that uh, you guys take pictures of the uh, lizard on. Uh, what are we calling that? On construction. I, yeah, I don't. It doesn't really have a. <laughs> Look at the title. He's looking for a title. <laughs> room two thirty five. That's a good title. That that was her room. Oh, we've it's, gone way off base here. It's crazy. Like if you look at this, I, it defies gravity how she put this together with the, because it's supposed to be a tree that this lizard is on, but it's like on the face of the tree, and I don't think it's got the ability to stick like that. No, that's magnificent. I'm first of all I'm demand that you both take pictures of this, 
take pictures of these respective works of art uh, art and put them on the on the web on the www.rtusports.com page. Two, uh, room two thirty five in quotes is a name. That's her series. <laughs> right. Part She's of, got a whole series of, of artwork. That's right. Room two. Th- I'm a big fan of room one thirty six. I'm a little concerned about how close to the sun this tree is. <laughs> I think she needs to work on scale. Yeah, I mean, the sun is about three feet off the grass. The sun is always dangerously close to Earth in uh, in child art. This is obviously a post-apocalyptic <laughs> rendition. They did. This was the lesson on the Mayan calendar in third grade. Right. Somewhere there's Ookla the Mock is on <laughs> post-apocalyptic. I am incredibly proud of my daughter's artwork. Well, you should be. I need to throw that out there. Folks, there will be pictures of uh, both the headless turkey. Pete, you should just do the whole wall, because it's really, obviously, it's uh, uh, an exhibit. Well, I mean, if we're going to put up art projects, I'll I'll, I'll at least put up the good ones, not just the silly ones that we refuse to take down. I thought the the turkey without a head was a statement. (laughs) No, the turkey without a head is just the ravages of age when you hang artwork on the wall. Right. Uh, anyway, back to the Yankees. Oh, right. Speaking of headless turkeys. <laughs> this is side of an enigma, but it's really not. I wrote in the, in the uh, episode summation about what we were going to talk about a little bit, and we'll get to the other stuff. Um, but the Mets are overachieving, but are they? Well, I think we've dispelled that myth. I don't think the Mets are necessarily overachieving. I feel like the Mets are uh, competitive, which we thought they would be if certain key members were healthy. Uh, We were in the minority, that's for sure. You could say that they're overachieving because they've been able to sustain the injuries that they have to Mike Pelfrey and Jason Bay and Josh Tolian. Excuse me, Ruben Tom. Oof. A little sausage there. Oh, nice. You stay classy. Um, and and to Josh Tolley and Jason Bay, Mike Coffey, they've been able to sustain the injuries, Cal. So in that sense, maybe, you know, Vinny Rotino's hitting two run home runs. Yeah, they're a Vinny Bag of Donuts. <laughs> Every time I see his name in the lineup, I'm like, who's playing left field? Joey Bag of Donuts? <laughs> like, yeah, listen, he's the Mets lineup, all right? First base, Vinny Rotino. Second base, Sal Iannacci. Third base, Frankie the Squirrel. Shortstop, Jimmy Two Times. Now, Rotino's batting cleanup because he said so. <laughs> All right. And I say so, and that's enough. <laughs> but, like, who's who's playing left? <laughs> Carmelo Lemoncola? Like, who's... who's... <laughs> 32-year-old journeyman baseball player who was a night security guard at, like, Target or something, right? Yeah, I, it, I think it was... Too, well, no, Tim Burdak worked at Target. I think they both did. I think they... Not at the same one. <laughs> Target. It would be the greatest softball team in the history of uh, Target. The Target softball team. True league, uh, home, home shopping. <laughs> softball. Yeah, it's it's amazing what they're doing with these guys. Vinny Rotino and Rob Johnson, fresh off his stint in Matchbox Twenty. Right, right. 
batting 300. Fresh off his stint selling out in Matchbox 20. I really, it's, so so your, here's your argument. If you think that they're overachieving right now because they've sustained all the injuries, then how are they going to do when all these guys come back? Right. They get Bay, Tejada, Tolley, and uh, uh, all, back, uh, all back. They should win 15 games in a row. Well. I, 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 again, are they overachieving? Yes, you can make that argument, but only because of the injuries. I think they're a competitive team. I thought they were a competitive team coming out of spring training as long as they were healthy. And as long as the key guys were healthy. So the Yankees, are they underachieving? Well, let me just let, let me give you my last thing on the match real quick. Yes, please. I think that um I'm and I'm a well-known skeptic of this team. You are a card-carrying member. I you know, I I go a little too far sometimes and and I feel bad because you just I, I, I get it. You just want to be optimistic and you want to feel good about the team. And I'm always bringing it down. But I think it's time now, a third of the way through the season, I think they've played a little bit over their heads up to this point. But I think they're a good team. And I think, more importantly, they believe they're a good team. We've talked about this a lot. Expecting to win. Right. Right. Nobody, to, they, nobody has told them that, that they stink. And you're supposed to be losing. They believe that they're a good team that's going to win, and it's a very dangerous thing when a team sustains that and lets that build. And now you're 50 games into the season, you've built up a lot of that goodwill, and I think that that's going to help carry them to the point where they maybe they don't get any further than six or seven games over 500 all year, but it's going to be enough to keep them in contention right to the very end. And and I'm not. I'm not expecting – I won't be surprised if it happens, but I'm not expecting that huge uh, losing streak that you always seem to get with this team when things are going good. Yeah, I think that one, when it comes to you and I – I just described this the other day to somebody. They were asking about how – somebody was asking about the show and about how we're, we're both uh, – uh, we have some listeners down in Nashville. Hey, how about that? I have some family down there who uh, moved down to Nashville years and years and years ago. Very big Met fans. Uh, they're cousins, actually. That's cool. Jen and Michelle and Tara. And uh, I just found out that they've been listening. And they really like the show a lot. So uh, we really certainly appreciate it. And uh, But also because they, you know, Tara and Michelle, get my cousins, get all the goofy 80s references and 90s references, too. But, so a little James Spader right at you. Um. Yeah, if you want to hang out with your common trash, um, Ooh. not bad, right? That was that was good. An impression from Pretty in Pink, not bad. PJ's nice. working. PJ's. I could see him steaming over there. He's got something. He's got an instant impression. But um, uh, we're like fire and ice with the Mets. Like you're ultra pessimistic. I'm ultra optimistic. And I think it's PJ's job, much like. Derek Smalls to be lukewarm water. <laughs> They're really peach. No. Do you feel like a preserved moose? Sorry, the but I, I was pounding the button. Euphemistic as that is, and I, I couldn't get on. I was when you said spader. I was all ready to you know. The, do you have a spader? Uh, no, not anymore. I lost it. Ah. <sighs> I, I picture you having like a latter day spader, not like an. I do. I, I have. I have. A, I have a later, creepier spader. Like a Boston Public. Yeah. Or, uh, what's that movie? Crash or something like that? Or 
Yeah, it's it's you know what it's a little bit. Uh, let's let's not do it here actually because get it creepy. It's a little bit too much. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little date rapey, as they say. <laughs> the other, the other, do they see that? Uh, they do, and then they laugh like that. Right, and everything goes home. The other thing uh, about the Mets too is. Somebody uh, made the argument that uh, people in New York won't come for a rebuild, and the Mets are disputing that notion. And a certain local talk show host got very upset and said, that notion's being proved because they don't go. Nobody's going. Nobody's going to the Mets. Okay? Nobody's going going in. And I I took umbrage with both my impression of him and also um, that idea. I, I don't necessarily think... They are rebuilding, certainly, but they aren't rebuilding entirely. They've kept Johan Santana. They've kept David Wright. They've, uh, they do have some star power. People aren't going because they're pissed at the Wilpons, period. Period. Yep. If this, te- if this team somehow finds itself 10 games over 500 and in a pennant race in August, people will go in spite of the Wilpons. It has nothing to do with a rebuild. Because quite frankly, the way this team is playing in a rebuilding mode, if it wasn't for the Wilpons and the animosity that people feel for them, there would be 30,000 people there a night. Because Met fans love teams like this. I know of at least five Met fans that will not go to a game but are watching every game. Right. Are watching every night and are starting to be able to separate the team from the Wilpons. That's not what it's about. It's not about New York Met fans won't support a rebuilding team. They won't support the Wilpons. They don't want to support the Wilpons, period. They don't want to give the Wilpons their money. And they and, and if the Mets are in it in August and September, they will do so in spite of themselves because they love baseball so much. People will come, Ray. People most definitely come. <sighs> <laughs> I wish I could do it. You know, it's hard. It's it's able to get it, do a good one with a real microphone. I'm using a real microphone tonight. Again, you, you are. <laughs> Cal, you're like still are probably <laughs> microphone still. Yeah, and I'm and I'm still using the webcam mic because my mine crapped out. It's still working. All right, good. We know who to blame. We know who to blame for it crapping out, don't we? Somebody's not getting the crust cut off tomorrow. That's all I'm saying. That's pizza day. Nice. No dice. Friday's pizza day. Friday's pizza day. PJ, Friday pizza day. He's pounding on the button. Not the best color man in the business for nothing. (laughs) I am not getting along with Google Chrome tonight, boys. This is not, it's not going well. That broadcasting school is really paying off, Cal. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry, Pete. Why don't you switch to Mozilla? No. All right. Try try Mozilla. I use Mozilla for the show for the studio. Yeah. In I the know. past, I've had I've had the best response times with Google Chrome, but but tonight, whew, crap in bed. Yeah. What do you make of the Yankees, Cal? Are they underachieving or are they just old? Can I say both, or is that a cop out? No, Cop Out is a movie with Bruce Willis. And, is that a little kid? And Tracy Morgan. 
Oh no, that wasn't the. Was that cop out? What was not? What's the movie with the little kid? <laughs> the cop movie with the little kid. And Burt Reynolds. Yes. <laughs> what is that movie? Oh man, I, I don't know, but I wish they'd remake it. <laughs> with the same cast. Short, uh, no, uh, Little Cop, no, uh... Big Cop, Little Cop? Big... <laughs> See, it's funny, right? Movie ever. Little little Kid's a Cop. I was... It's funny. It's a joke. Gag. Get it? Cow whips out the Burt Reynolds. It was a bad Burt Reynolds, though. Kid Norm McDonald. <laughs> it's, a, it's a cop. Funny. Get it? Good cop. Kid's a cop. He's big. I'm big. He's little. Let's make this movie. Uh. I love Burt Reynolds. I love Burt Reynolds. He's terrific. Compared to Burt Reynolds by someone, BJ, by someone we know very well. I was compared to Burt Reynolds. How so? Remind me, uh, it was a guy who was a director, who's a friend of ours. And, uh... Cop and a half... Cop and a half. 1993. Big Cop, Little Cop. <laughs> oh, I wish it was Big Cop, Little Cop. Cop and a half gets a 3.3 out of 10 rating, according wow. to the interwebs. Hey, look. Not well received, not well remembered. <laughs> Cop and a half. How does somebody look at that script and be like, yeah, I know what I'm going to do. <laughs> Got my five scripts in front of me. I know what I'm going to do. I need a pool. Let's do cop and a half. What if I want to put a deck on the on the uh, pool. Well, you got to remember that com- coming out of the 70s, some genius signed Burt Reynolds to a 75-picture deal. <laughs> wow. And... Uh, and they just had to keep making them until the contract was up. <laughs> now, cop the half, the kid is—it's like a little black kid, right? Am I mistaken there? Uh, well, yeah. The co- the cover is a uh, is a small small child in a red shirt wearing a big cop hat. You know, it's too big for him. It's funny. <laughs> it's like flopping over his head. The kid's eight. Devin Butler. Hilarious. Yeah, I'm looking Burt at that. got full stash. Full stash in this one. And I'm looking at that picture, too. The kid is using the handcuffs as glasses over Burt Reynolds' eyes. That's right. Burt Reynolds looks like he needs a break from this. I want to be in the cop and a half business with you guys. Directed by and Henry Winkler. I was going to say, did you see that director? Directed yeah. by the Fonz. Oh, man. Epic failure. I can't imagine why they didn't let Henry Winkler direct anything else for the next 25 years. <laughs> well, I, look, guys, I did Cop and a Half. I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> anyway, back to the Yankees and Cop and a Half. Uh, it's not a cop-out because they are. Henry Winkler, by the way, directed um, Joni Loves Chachi. Did you know that? Uh Yeah. I didn't know he had a director credit on Joni Loves Chachi. That's how that's how so many actors or whatever get their first directing experience. That you know, like John Hamm directed Mad Men or 
you know, Ted Danson directed a Cheers episode or something like that. They're like, yeah, go ahead. Well, you know, he doesn't have any Happy Days credits. So they they knew enough not to let him near Happy Days. But <laughs> they sent him down to the farm team. Right. Cop and a half, a hemorrhoid and a half to whoever sits through this abjectly painful comedy. Oh, That's Mr. Leonard Malton. That's oh, there. Of course it is. Leonard Malton. A hemorrhoid and a half. How do you bring a hemorrhoid into a movie review? <laughs> oh, uh, I don't, I don't want these milk duds now. How many... How many episodes of Happy Days did Ron Howard direct? 142. <laughs> Keep telling, though. Was it that many? I don't know, but Ron Howard went on. Like, if they gave Ron Howard Happy Days episodes to direct, then they really know what they were doing. One guy is going to go be very, very good. Another guy is going to do cop and a half. I would be willing to bet Henry Winkler directed more than Ron Howard. At the time. Happy Days? I think he did. I think Opie always wanted to be a director. Yeah? I think so. How about Anson Williams? <laughs> Anson Williams, I think, has more credits. I, I don't see Ron Howard getting um, Happy Days credits. I think Anson Williams went on to be a director, too, didn't he? Oh, he's a huge, yeah, he's a huge director-producer. Yeah. He's a TV producer. So there you go, Cal. But he didn't act Plus in anything he, else. He still but. sings a great version of Don Shane, So, I found my thrill. Long blue. Okay, listen. With the Yankees already, and then we got to talk about this Daily News thing. All right, so let's get, let's get back to business here. Yes, the business of America's business is business. Whatever it is I've said here today. Uh. <clears throat> the Yankees are are underachieving, but I think they're old, Cal. And I think there's when Andy Pettit comes riding in on the white horse and is your second best starter. And, and look, I hate to beat a dead horse here, but we've said this for four months, for three or four months. And 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 then once the thing, uh, you know, once the shoulder injury happened to Michael Pineda, it, you know, it's still now. I heard this one, Cal. I run this one by you. It was only a matter of time. We joked about it a couple of weeks ago about the crazy trades that Yankee fans would come up with involving the Mets. So this was one that Evan Roberts here in New York on FAN actually had to deal with today. You ready? Okay. Use a trade. I think the I think the Mets would do this. I don't see why the Mets wouldn't do this. It's the same guy that always proposes trades, isn't it? Correct. That's correct. He has a direct line and all he does is propose trades. Trade proposal guy. <laughs> And he sounds, sounds, he sounds a little like this. All right, here, listen. This is going to be a good trade for the Mets too. All right, I'm a little nervous. Okay, <laughs> send the Yankees Johan Santana for Phil Hughes. Straight up. Straight up. Uh, why? Let's okay. Why would the Mets do that? According to this guy. It's a yeah. no-brainer. They don't want it. They have no money. They can't afford to pay him. Uh, and uh, the Yankees are the only team that can. And I, what he left out was he's good, and the Yankees need somebody good. And why would the Mets? Phil Hughes for Johan Santana. So we'll take your crap, failed 
prospect because we're broke. Yeah, I get it. Okay. Okay, fair enough. I see. Yeah. I don't think that's going to work. Not only do I think it's not going to work, I'm offended. Did it did it come after the calls that suggest Phil Hughes should be put in the bullpen because he can't start anymore? I, I, I didn't hear it. I just saw Evan Roberts tweet about it. Oh, okay. And say, I'll explain to this Yankee fan why I would not do that deal. Okay. As if as if he had to defend not doing that deal. Because that's the talk that I hear is that the Yankee fans are so tired of Phil Hughes. We've been giving him chance after chance, and he keeps failing. How many more times do we got to throw him out there before we realize he belongs in the bullpen? Right. So now let's trade him for Johan Santana. Garbage. Let's trade him for the best pitcher on the Mets. That makes sense. Well, we're at that point now with the Yankees. At the point now where they, the Yankee fan wants to pluck, like I said, the next one you're going to hear is David Wright for Phil Hughes or David Wright for... Uh, uh, for Nooney. Yeah. For, <laughs> that's right. Literally, for, Ed, uh, for Eduardo Nunez. That's what we'll hear. Right. You know, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll throw in, uh, I don't know. You know, they might, they might want Eric Chavez back. So he could play third, you know. Yeah, it's, it's gonna work. It's gonna work out great. Look, there's a problem with the Yankees, and and the problem is that they are getting old. There's no there's no way around it because Cano has been hitting, Granderson's been hitting, yeah. A Rod's been struggling. You know, uh, Teixeira was struggling. He got hot. Yeah, against a bunch of tomato cans. Well, but yeah, but but everybody hits good pitching. That's bad pitching. Everybody, everybody, every major league hitter feasts on bad pitching. Yeah, we've uh, people have sprinkled dirt on the Yankees before, Cal. Right? Is this a ninety-win team? I think it could be. I don't. With that staff, I don't think it is. I think it could be because they they still look. They still have the potential. What to, are, what are they? What's their record? Uh, twenty-seven and twenty-two. Twenty-seven. Twenty-seven twenty-three. I'm sorry. Four games. They could win ninety games, Steve. Yeah, they're not gonna look. They're not going anywhere. That's that for sh- for sure. When when mid September rolls around, they're gonna be right in the middle of everything. Yeah, they just find a way. You know why they do that? Because they're the Yankees. This That's is, all there is to it. This is not though with the injuries in the bullpen, with the uncertainty uh, now with the middle relief. With the, uh, Andy Pettit is your best pitcher, and guess what he does against a, a good lineup. Uh, the other night or whatever. Like I'm not bag. I'm not trying to bag on the Yankees. I'm just saying, are we sure this isn't an 85 win team? Are we sure? Look, they're not. They are not the mortal lock for the playoffs that everybody believes they are. Okay, that's fine. I right? Can, I accept that. But the, but I think they're going to be in the picture at the end of the season. You know, they're they're, they're going to be there. The funny thing, the last thing on the Yankees. I want to. I got to get. We got to get to the Daily News stuff. I know. I know. But. The funny thing to me, Bri, is that they're supposed to have uh, the farm system that the Mets don't. Uh, you know what? I shouldn't do that. Take the Mets out of the equation. The Mets don't matter here. Right. That's my bad. I apologize for doing that. Forget the Mets. It has nothing to do with the Mets. 
It has to do with conversations I've had with Yankee fans over the last two or three years. Their farm system is supposed to be producing uh, Benuelos, Betances, uh, all this help from the pitching uh, department. They had such a good uh, catching prospect in, in uh, Romine uh, that they could trade Montero. You know, all this help. And where is it? Where is it? Who's the last good? Somebody called up the fan this week and, and asked uh, Francesa, and I totally, he was stuttering over himself. How many good pitches have the Yankees developed in the last, like, 25 years that they drafted? It's, it's The answer is, like, three. <laughs> Literally. Pettit. Pettit. Ron Guidry. I mean, literally over the last 25 years. Are you talking about that they've that they've developed and then they went on to success with the team or they wound up trading them away? With the team, obviously. Well, well that's, yeah, that's a whole other story. Cal, we're talking about 30 years. Well, because, well, you got to remember, for the longest time, they're op- the way they operated was they traded those guys away. I get that, but they haven't operated that way in 15, 16 years. All right, so then let's look back over the last 15, 16 years. They still have nothing to show for it but Andy Pettit as a starting pitcher, developed by them. That that pitch for them. Right. That's been a front-line starter. Andy Pettit, list stops there. I'm just saying, is that help not coming for them this year? Because Batances and Ben Wellis, I mean, I don't follow the Yankees minor leagues as closely as I follow the Mets, obviously, but those guys are struggling. From everything I read, they're not ready to contribute. So who comes up and helps the Yankees? I I think their help is going to come from outside the organization. It always does. That's, yeah. how they, that's how they do it. Now do you trade a Benuelos or Batances now? Now are those guys expendable for starting pitching? Well, that it that, would be very interesting to see. They they have held, held fast against that for the last couple of years. They're, they're, they have two uh, – they, they have – more than two. They they have some mag- – I mean, Robinson Cano is one of the five best players in baseball. Sorry, he just is. Uh, and he's going to have to get paid at some point, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, they have aging superstars in Teixeira and A-Rod, guys who are still going to feast on bad pitching uh, and struggle against good pitching. They have Swisher. They have Granderson, who's turned into a wonderful player, uh, limited as he might be. He's still a, a superstar. Okay, the, the offense and, and Jeter, of course, has had a fantastic year. The offensive firepower is still there. You, you're not winning a series. You're not winning a, a playoff series with that rotation. You're not. Sorry, you're not. You're not. And you know what? You, you're not going to win 12 games against Baltimore this year. Well, you might, but you're not going to win 12 games against Toronto this year. But you're not going to feast on that division like you used to. That's why I say, are we sure this isn't an 85-win team? Because those teams are better. Teams in the Central are better. You you only play the A's and the Mariners so many times. I I just... The Yankees, to me, are fascinating. And I think their fans can feel it. Like, I think they're smart fans who have watched the team for more than 15 minutes can feel it. I think they can feel it slipping away a little bit, and they're desperate. And then you mix in the the injury to Rivera, 
and they're desperate because yeah. they can see it sort of. You got five more years of Aaron and Teixeira. Five more years. Nobody's going to take those contracts. No one. No one. And in two years, they're going to have to pay Cano. Have to pay Cano, if not sooner. Well, they got an option on him next year, so. Yeah, but if you're Robbie Cano, I know it's rarely done in baseball, but hold out. I mean, nobody. <laughs> because it's a guaranteed contract. Well. Hey, what? I wouldn't be happy with my deal if I was Robbie Cano. I'm gonna de- I'm gonna devil's advocate you here. If you're saying Robbie Cano hold out next year, what's to stop David Wright from holding out? Nothing. You're not telling him to hold out, though, are you? Wright's leaving sixteen million dollars on the table. Well, that's what that's what Cano is making next year. Is he not making less than that? I thought he was. I thought he was only making like seven or eight. No, no, no. Cano is is you know maybe twelve, thirteen. Right. Okay. No, that's why these guys don't hold out because they they they're all money. They're, and they're guaranteed. Yeah. Speaking of holdouts, <laughs> all right. Let me let me ask you because I, I I texted you guys this on Sunday, right? Uh-huh. I texted you this on Sunday. Okay. Do me a favor, Cal. Can you can you bring up the the so? Let me. What the daily news from Sunday? Yeah. Let me set the stage here. I, I put both. Let me set the stage here. For the better part of two and a half years, uh, every week, Brian and I have been coming on this podcast slash live show and railing against, mildly railing against, the media and the the sports media and the way that uh, teams are reported on, why we started to lean towards blogs, why we get our information from different sources, how social media is changing the way that sports is covered uh, and watched, um, why uh, your daily paper has a whole different, uh, sports section has a whole different meaning than it used to. And also the sort of uh, depths that especially the print media, print sports media will go to get people to buy the papers. Uh, this is particularly true of the teams that Brian and I root for in the Jets and the Mets. Uh, the Islanders, nobody really cares about except us. Uh, there's a handful of us that care. And the Knicks are the Knicks. And the Knicks are the only game in town. I mean, who's going to compete with them? The Nets? So if the Knicks get bad coverage, it's their own fault, <laughs> basically. But the Jets and the Mets uh, have been on the uh, the end of what we think is some agenda-driven uh, narratives over the last years. So Sunday, I'm reading my Sunday sports paper and my Sunday sports section, which I want to do, drinking a cup of coffee. Uh, I've been up with the little guy watching, uh, you know, because on the weekends I get up with him and spend some time with him, let Teresa sleep or whatever. And, uh, you know, we watch a little baseball, you know, we watch a little quick pitch. And we flip over to Sesame Street nice, but I make sure that there's, you know, if it's uh, football season, I throw on a little pregame something. Yeah. Nice. 7.30 in the morning. He likes quick pitch. What's not to like? He likes, I mean, we may be playing trains, but it's on in the background. It's on. And I've taught him how to spike a football and say touchdown. These are small things that I'm working on. Anyway, so I'm, now he's down for a nap. Now I get to go read the paper. 
have my coffee. And I'm reading Mike Lupica in the Daily News, as I've done, oh, just about every Sunday for the better part of 20 years. More than that. Loot Rice. And Lupica has a little section in his Sunday column that, uh, you know, shooting from the lip. And it's little thoughts. You know, he sort of, uh, he sort of made this format what it is. It's a great format. It's really cool. It's little thoughts. I love it. I like Lupica. I, I do. For all his faults, I like. I've always liked him. We'll agree to disagree on that one. I know you don't care for him. I don't care for him. And I care for him much less than I used to. But I still think he's witty. I still think he's clever, and I still think he loves sports, and that I respect. Okay, I'll give you that. Um. So, and he's managed to, you know, have a forty-year career, thirty-five-year career in this town, which is amazing. So I guess he's doing something right. One of his little. Uh, shooting from the lip things is. Do you have it? I think so. Okay. Uh, please read what Mike Lupica writes in his shooting from the lip on Sunday. All right. So, you know, he, he has all his little blurbs about everything. And then in the middle of it, the blurb about the Jets, he goes with seriously, we're going to go with a snap by snap analysis of Sanchez against Tebow because that will get really tired really fast. Okay, so I read that, and I go, amen, brother, preaching to the choir. Absolutely. It's ridiculous. Uh, it started on Twitter. They were doing it during the OTAs. It's OTAs. These are you know, volunteer-organized activities. I'm saying, it's, it, 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 as a Jets fan who is not in on the Tebow thing, this was, we were going crazy about it, Bri, right? Mm-hmm. Nuts. We're like, come on. Come on. Happening in today. Right. There's no quarterback controversy here. There has to be a non-incumbent for there to be a quarterback controversy. There is a starter. There is a backup. The job is not open. Okay. So that was on like page like, I don't know, you know, 52. So I flip five pages, five pages, same sports section to Gary Myers' Sunday column, his Sunday NFL column special. And at the end of it, he always has like little paragraphs that are non sequiturs or, you know, random thoughts or whatever. And this was his five pages after Lupica says it's ridiculous for reporters to track a snap by snap account of Tebow versus Sanchez. It's going to get talked really fast. What is Gary Myers right, Cal? It's quarterback war. The Daily News will provide pass-by-pass coverage of the Mark Sanchez-Tim Tebow quarterback battle this summer in training camp in Cortland. Our guy, Manesh Mehta, will be charting every throw. That includes each of Tebow's passes that create divots when they nosedive five yards in front of Dustin Keller. And each pass Sanchez sails over the head of Santonio Holmes. This is going to be one of the most entertaining quarterback controversies of all time. Five pages. Two columnists from the same paper, five pages apart. What's your point? You just went all spinal tap on me, Cal. <laughs> like when they're when they're yeah. when they're reading the reviews. <laughs> this band is treading water in a sea of retarded sexuality and bad poetry. That's uh, that's nitpicking, isn't it? 
Now, here, let's 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 now talk a little bit about our our conversation about this because we both said the same thing. He had to be sarcastic, right? right? Had to be a send up. I'm reading it, and I'm like, I, I'm, I think the tone of this is is a sar- is sarcasm. It's not. I, but then, upon further reading, I don't believe it is. It was. It was. It was. It was completely serious, and Manesh Mehta went ahead and did it today. Had a link on his Twitter that charted every throw both guys made. So, two things here. One, maybe Lupica and Myers should get together and, uh, uh, Cal, you're holding up your feet. You have a tweet from Manesh, don't you? No. Well, yes, I do. But it's breaking news from our correspondent, Dr. E. Ray Statt. Boy. Oh boy, let's have it. Dr. Eri Stat, who, who, without fail. Dr. Eri Stat, who, without fail, sends us a message every Thursday night between 9.30 and 11.30. That's right. Without fail. And he reports the tweet from Manesh Mehta on, on exactly this thing that we're talking about. One would think that he's listening to the show and he's contributing. So he says, great tweet from Meta. He quotes Bill Polian saying this about charting every Sanchez and Tebow pass in OTA. This is Bill Polian says, it borders on insane. It doesn't even border on it. It is insane. And then Meta writes, Polian may be right, but I did it anyway today. I, I, that's unbelievable. Can't write that. Thank you, Doctor Iray, and uh, th- this is exactly my point. Now you're going to tell me that they're not trying to create a narrative with the New York Jets. He flat out admitted it. He flat, he flat out admitted from the same newspaper that we're just talking about. The th- a third guy, and he did it anyway. <laughs> and, he, and he says it. I did it anyway, and I do it again. I don't think he said that, but... He's thinking it. <laughs> Speechless. If you were to give him truth here, he'd say it. That, that's correct. Bill Polian, former general uh, GM of the Colts. Pretty respected in, in the NFL circle, wouldn't you say? Says that charting every pass in OTAs is insane. I like the way he said it, too. It borders on insane. No, wait. It doesn't even border on it. It is, it is insane. Guys... I mean, come on. Come on. What are we doing? You know, as much as Gary Myers wants there to be a quarterback controversy, there's not going to be one because the job is filled. No matter how, oh, Gary, no matter how much you wish it, it would be so great for our newspaper. It's not going to happen. If Tim Tebow is the starting quarterback for the New York Jets at some point this season, it will be a because Mark Sanchez is hurt, or B, because the season has completely blown up, completely. And they're 2-10, and ten, and, they, and, and they have found out that Sanchez cannot play. And then he will be quarterback. The notion of him winning this job in training camp is ridiculous because it's not a job to win. Not a job to win. No, no job to win. But why... But- but Steve, why would Tim Tebow come here if he didn't want to be the starting quarterback? Where else was he going to go? 
Well, he could have gone to Jacksonville. Yeah. Where they didn't want him. And where, again, look, we said why he's here, Cal. He's here because of the owner. All right? We know that. We know that the owner wanted him. The owner went to the GM and said, go get him for me. I need the back page because I am a back page whore. Okay? Yes, I use the W word. Or hua, as my mother used to say. She's a real hua. <laughs> I sold out my mom there. Uh, but he's here also because the offensive coordinator said, yeah, we can use him. I have a little experience running the Wildcat. He's a football player. Fine. We'll use him. And I'm sure when the trade was going down, he didn't want to go to Jacksonville. See, I don't think Tebow wanted to go to Jacksonville and fail either. Well, that would have been a big deal. I mean, there's, what pressure is there on him in New York? There's none. There's none. I, I firmly think he wanted to go to a team where he didn't have any pressure. Jacksonville, that's his hometown. I hate to use the pun, but he would have been a savior there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I had to point out that article thing for two reasons. One... Not even A. One, uh, it, it, it points to exactly what we're talking about. The media is trying to create a narrative, uh, trying to create a narrative around the Jets that it wants. If the Jets don't fit into it, they're going to make them fit. Okay, that's what Jeff uh, Capolini, uh, aka the Green Lantern Jet on Twitter, uh, wrote in this fantastic article about the offseason. He says, "Look, the Jets have done everything you've asked them to. They've shut up." Rex Ryan admitted today, Cal admitted today, that talking about the Super Bowl was a mistake. Mm-hmm. Said it. That's a quote. I made a mistake. Talking about the Super Bowl that much, that was a mistake. I don't plan on repeating it. Okay? They have been humble. They have eaten their humble pie. Sanchez and Holmes have made up. They've said 800 times. You know what I love, Cal? You know where Santonio Holmes is right now, missing OTAs? Well, he's not. He's, he's certainly not in camp, so he, he must be disgruntled. Yeah, you know where he is? He's visiting the troops in Germany. He's with a bunch of other NFL players doing a, 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 a you know a, a visitation with the troops in Germany. Hmm. Uh, don't report on that, though. Well, that certainly goes against the narrative. <laughs> Just say that he's not here. You know, look, I, I have been saying for two or three months, I've said it to you, you've said it to me, Dr. Ray Status said it, especially after the draft a couple weeks ago. I think this team is going to be good. I think this team has a chance. This team was 8-8 eight and eight last year, and it was a complete disaster. Well, it was 8-5 at one point. They were 8-5 at one point, and they were a 99-yard touchdown away from making the playoffs. And also keeping the Giants from winning a Super Bowl. But that's okay. <laughs> Over it. I'm not bitter. Why would I be? No. You're being defensive. I'm I'm doing a little Nathan Thurm right there. <laughs> so funny that you would think that, that I'm being defensive. Not being defensive. I'm Mr. Nathan Thurm. <laughs> Great sketch. <laughs> it's a Minkman. 
Now, this woman who claims she has severe nerve damage from sitting on one of your whoopee cushions. Uh, but that's why this article was so great because he he said a lot of the things that we've been saying that Jet fans are like sort of scared to say. They got Copels who could turn out to be great on the defensive line. They're going to run a lot more 46, a lot more 4-3. They got a speed linebacker in Demario Davis uh, to maybe cover the tight end. They seem to have you know thrown a lot of. Uh, you know, a lot of attention to the safety problem. We don't know if it's solved, but they certainly tried. Uh, they just signed two offensive tackles to add some more depth to the offensive line. They got a new offensive coordinator who's not just uh, bringing in a new system that's probably better suited for them, but he's also a throwback coach. He gives the, the coaching staff some legitimacy. Yeah, that's a big thing. One of the most respected coaches in the NFL. They got the defensive line coach from the Minnesota Vikings in, in Dunbar, who's another one of the most respected coaches in the NFL. These are old school coach guys. These these, these aren't you know thirty two year old Brian Schottenheimers. Wonder Kings. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I urge you go read that. You know, search uh, CBS Sports or was it it was WCBS right? Yeah, I think you can get to it from the WFAN website. I urge every Jeff fan to go to WFAN.com and search uh, uh, Jeff Capolini, and uh, who sounds like he was a tailback at you know Cornell in 1973 with that Marinaro. Or he's backing up Vinny Rotino at first base. <laughs> he's in the lineup with Vinny Rotino and Joey Pagadona playing left. Speaking of playing left, you know who's playing tomorrow night? Tomorrow night? At the Connolly's Club. Oh. I know. Down. Sister Shakedown. Frickin' Sister Shakedown. Oh, my God. You know who's opening? Vinny Rotino. He's going to do some acoustic numbers, Vinny Rotino. He's opening up for Sister Shakedown. Yo, do you hear Sister Shakedown's back? They're back. I would give them $8,000 to play the boys are back in town and open with that tomorrow. <laughs> oh, wow. Ladies and gentlemen, Sister Shakedown. Take your pants. <laughs> going to be some show. They are playing tomorrow night. Our buddy Keith's band, Sister Shakedown. At the Connolly's Club on 47th in the city. Nice. Uh, this is the show. Vinny Rotino is going to be there. Jeff Capolini is going to be there. They're all going to be there. Either that or they're going to be down to shore. It's Friday night. It's Friday night. Got to head down to shore. First night of June. Yeah, Yo, you going to go down Broad Street, see the flowers? Sorry. Get my Philly in there. Philly. You see what the Filthies did to the Mets? Nice. Yeah, they scored today, scored like 10 runs in the last two innings. Nice. Victorino, sweet. J-Row, yo, J-Row went and did it. Nice. Okay, that's enough Philly. God, I hate the Philly. Oh, I just don't care for them. Oh. I heard Sister Shakedown's going to do like a whole night of Boston. Like, they're going to do the entire third stage album. No freaking way, the whole thing? The whole thing. Unbelievable. Amanda, cool the engines. Gonna be psychotic. Are those, 
we got to bring back psychotic as a descriptive term for an evening. No, last night was psychotic, bro. Psychotic. We got we got psychotic last night, bro. Dude, that show is gonna be mint. Oh, remember mint? Love mint. Sister Shakedown. Mint. Sister Shakedown. Mint. Uh, guys, guitar rig. I'm telling you, it's mint. I His think tone uh, is psychotic. I think the other the other great Vinny Rotino was the uh somebody said it was like made up in uh baseball stars or something. Was that a was yeah. it Rotino? The great RBI baseball name? Yeah, it was like an old Sega Genesis baseball oh. game. Like RBI baseball. Right. Or something. Exactly. I did Vinny Rotino somehow. I don't know why the computer gave me such a it got <laughs> Todd Johnson. The other thing about Vinny Rotino is he taking a trip. You like it, the cash. The cash is a nice. But he's going to take it a trip. Now, now the first base is a nice. He's going to take it a pitch. He's going to see a fastball. He's going to see a curveball. Now, look. The curveball is a nice. But the fastball is nice. Um... So uh, we should do the fun load, right? Do we have time for the fun load? We've got 15 minutes. Let's do it. Are we bumping Lindsay Buckingham again tonight? <laughs> Sorry, Lindsay. Um, last thing on the yes. Oh, last thing on the Jets I was going to say was uh, Tortorella, the Rangers are out, Cal. Yeah. And uh, I'm all broken up about it. But um, Tortorella, no, it's terrible. That was a great series. It was a tremendous series. It really was a good series. And you know what? They they did exactly what Bill Pito said they would do right here on this program. They would go deep in the playoffs, but he didn't think they'd make the cup because they just don't have enough experience, and they were tired, and they were going to be worn out. Mm-hmm. And they will only go as far as Lundqvist carries them, and if Lundqvist has one or two bad games, they're not going to make it to the Stanley Cup Finals. That's what he said. So the king has no ring. Oh, you say that with such glee in your voice. Some guy said that on FAN, and uh, Francesa took off of it. The king has no ring, okay? That's true. Hey, hey if you're going to have the nickname the king. As if as if Henrik Lunk was sat around and was like, you shall now call me the king. <laughs> like, as, And he said it about LeBron, too. Now, LeBron may have given himself that nickname. It's possible. But Henrik Lundqvist is not sitting around like, and thou shalt call me. Henrik Lundqvist was in the locker room going, And thou and those who call upon me shall call me the king. He's walking around with a crown. <laughs> what? More women? More wine? For all my hockey friends. Hey, Kelsey, why is Henrik walking around with a crown, eh? I don't know, Stevesy. <laughs> Go check with Torts. Does Torts know he's wearing a crown? Hey, hey Doobie, why is Callie walking around with... <laughs> why is... How come Lundquist's nickname doesn't end in an IE? What are we, we going to do here? Why can't we just call him Henrique? 
or lung, lung queen, or, or lungs. Can we go with lungs? I'm uncomfortable calling somebody the king. Ritzy. 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 And thou shalt refer to me, the goaltender, as King Henrik. And all. <laughs> I'm not quite sure when he was on Monty Python. <laughs> anyway. Oh, so so the Rangers are out of the playoffs. So you're going to make your Tortorella and Rex Ryan analogy, aren't you? Just saying that he he went on uh, with Francesca or whatever, and he. <laughs> He's talking about how great it is they got to the, you know, how much they achieved by getting to the semifinal, or the conference finals, and and how uh, people covering the team are jerks, and uh, they misinterpret what he says, and uh, it just it pisses him off, you know, so much that that people would question the team, and uh, you know, uh, he was asked about like what he does in press conferences. Ah, oh, you know, I'm just I'm not going to answer stupid questions. And, Pomposity and bluster, right? Nothing but making bows, making proclamations. Right, right. Take about. I, I think this team is it can win a cup, and we're a step away. And the better team didn't win. It was only the team that played better that won. Yeah, I played them in periods two and three of both games five and six, and all this stuff that Rex Ryan gets killed for. Killed for. And he finishes the interview. He goes, "It's refreshing. <laughs> He's honest, okay, and it's, and it's refreshing." So when someone asks Rex Ryan, "Do you think you, you know, your team's going to win the Super Bowl?" and he says, "Yeah, I do. I think we're going to win the Super Bowl." Uh, that's bluster, and that's arrogance, and that's disgusting. Now Tortorella's won a cup as a head coach mm-hmm. with the the uh, the Lightning. Uh, never in this town. Nope. And uh, P.S. Rex Ryan does have a Super Bowl ring. Um, but I, I, it's just fascinating to me. Again, it's all about perception. It's all about perception. How about when uh, – well, we'll check in with Rex Ryan at training camp, see what he has to say for uh, comic relief. Yes. <laughs> before he before he even know what he's going to say. <laughs> Look, a lot of what's going on with the Jets right now was exactly what was going on with the Mets back in February. And I'm not saying the Mets are going to make the playoffs or win the World Series. Mets fans, you know, Yankee fans get all up in arms when Mets fans call up the fan and are like, hey, this team's playing good. They're good. I think they're better than everybody said they were. Whoa, whoa, whoa. They're still the Mets. Come, I mean, Francis even said, I'm not saying they're a good team. I'm saying they're playing well. They're not a good team. Like, let's everybody slow down. Yeah. But And Yankee fans get very upset. Like, we're not allowed to say we're, you know, they're a good team. But... Oh, yeah, Madoff, all right? 26, Madoff. I'm done. Peace, shocking rules. Uh, but, uh, last thing on this, but there's a lot of the same things going on. It, it's It's May. It's May. They haven't even had training camp yet. How are you going to tell me that the Jets are a 6-10 team? It's May. This is like Michael Kay saying they're going to lose 120 games in January. It's, 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 it's stupid. It's just stupid. 
And that's a lot of what's going on with the Jets right now. You can't possibly, possibly predict what their record's going to be. They haven't even played training camp yet. They haven't even gone through training camp. What if Tom Brady breaks his leg? What if Mark Sanchez breaks his leg? What if Team Tebow breaks both his legs? Uh, you, you can't possibly predict what's going to happen. Anyway. I'm sorry. I, get, I, I, I thought we were going to have a nice, easy show, and I've worked myself up into a uh, a King Henrik Frawl. <laughs> you shall call me King, everyone. The beat guys are like, did he just say we should call him King? Is that really? Did he? Is he Ricky Henderson? Self <laughs> his own nickname. Uh, I wanted to talk about in the fun load uh, the idea of the sports podcast and sports talk radio, because obviously we've talked a ton about it tonight. Cal and then PJ. Cal, give me your. Uh, and then I know PJ has a very funny story to tell about sports talk radio. Cal, give me your earliest remembrance of watching F- or listening to FAN. Earliest remembrance? Yeah. I remember when they signed on. You remember the first day? I do. Uh, you remember listening to the Mets on WHN? Yes. Right. So do I. And they went from WHN on 1050 to WFAN. I, I want. I don't. It certainly wasn't like the middle of the night. Oh wait a minute. Let me back up. Let me back up. I'm thinking my my earliest memory is when they signed on as 660. Right. They had, they had already been on the air for a year. At 1050. At 1050, they moved over to 660, and I remember listening to WNBC on 660. And it was three o'clock in the afternoon, and it switched over from from music to all sports. Yeah, that's that's my first memory. I remember listening to Imus on WNBC because my parents did. Yeah, and uh, somebody brought up uh, Kinky Friedman the other day. WNBC. <laughs> uh, by the way, quack, Paul, quack. Paul Giamatti is definitely playing you in the movie, Peach. Oh yeah. Yeah, no doubt. The the RTU movie, you know what? Forget about the podcasting. Let's just cast the RTU movie. Let's do it. I would I would love Giamatti to play me, so that that would just be great. All right, RTU the movie. <laughs> I was gonna say I was gonna say my buddy just uh, Jay, our buddy from the Yayas, just played the uh, Kerrville, Texas Folk Festival, which is a very big deal. Um, it's been going on for like 40 years. They placed last year, so they got invited back to perform this year. And uh, he was telling me about it. He's like, Kinky Freeman was there <laughs> playing. And he's like a big celebrity in Texas. And I'm like, I actually know who that is because of Imus. And Ratso Rizzo. But uh, anyway, forget about the Sports Talk Radio. We only got a couple minutes. Let's cast RTU the movie. Yo, is Sister Shakedown going to play that festival next year? Absolutely. They're going to have to play folk. So you, you could take, like, Springsteen stuff, folk it up. So they do the entire side two of 2112 acoustic. You got to hear it. Bro, they would destroy folk. That would be the worst concert ever. 
slide of Rush's twenty one twelve acoustic by like a Jersey bar band. <laughs> a very good Jersey bar band. They're great. That's not the point. They actually have. They actually are nothing like we make them sound like. They have I know. It's just. It's just the name. Yeah, they have it's like just the name. We're just being silly with the name. Right. Keith Lee understands that. I hope he does. You know, right. how, he's very sensitive, though. You know that. I think I will if, go and caress his beard. If we ripped, if we ripped on Wisconsin basketball, he'd probably have a much bigger problem with. It. They suck. How's that, Keith? All right? That he would have a problem with. But Sister Shakedown, he doesn't care. Forget about it. They're gonna. Play. I would. I would cast uh, Ed Burns as Brian Calvi. Wow. Ed Burns. Oh, I love this. That's oh. not Ed. That's not Ed Kooky Burn, right? <laughs> no, it's. Ed Byrne from the hybrid school of acting. When you don't know what to do, you just make your voice get higher. Higher like vanity, you know him. I do. I know that. I know that for sure. Brothers McMullen. Yeah. That's the problem with you. Your voice. You know, he learned that from Billy Crystal, of course. Yes. Which That's is a Billy Crystal move. Which is the school of acting you really want to go to? The Billy Crystal School of Acting. The Billy, yeah, it's the Billy Crystal School of I don't know how to get out of this scene, so my voice gets higher. That's really what you want to study. The Billy Crystal School of Serious Acting. <laughs> <laughs> your de- your degree from there. Oh man, Mr. Saturday Night, tremendous. So we have basically quite a young junior. So we basically have four people to cast here, right? Uh yeah, we have we have uh, Callan Sampete, the bishop, or I'm yep. sorry, bishop pop culture PJ, and of course Doctor Ray Staff. Right. I'd like to I'd like to, to cast Zach Braff maybe as, as uh, Sampete. That that would be nice. Give him some facial hair. Zach Braff is nice. I love your casting so far, by the way. Oh, thank you. Uh, we have Giamatti for you. That's a lock. Yeah. That's a lock. I'll take Giamatti as me. Although, you know who you always used to get was Arvid from Head of the Class. Well, that was you who kept pushing that. Arvid? What was the the guy? He was on Herman's head, too. Oh, man. I know who you're talking about. Jovial fat actor. Just, you know. Was that Arvid or was that... um... That was Dan Schneider. Was Arvid the Indian guy? No. Dan Schneider, that's the actor, right? He's on IMDb now. He's gone. He's a bunch of commercials. We always, But head of the class. What was his name on head of the class? Um, I'm looking. By the way, Bishop, your challenge is going to be Dr. Ray Stat. Dennis Blunden? Dennis Blunden. That's him. That yep. was Dan Schneider. Dennis, Dennis, that's right. Dennis from Head of the Class. That's right. Someone Dan- played Dr. E. Ray. I give, I give um, Scott Wolf. Ooh. Dr. E. Ray. Giovanni you know, let's Ribisi. Make, let's, let's make him nice and handsome. Giovanni Ribisi. Wow. Yeah, Ribisi could do it, too. You know who he was as a kid, always. Let's see if PJ knows. 
take take Evan and make him like eighteen, nineteen years old. Or actually six younger, yeah. Yeah. Sixteen, seventeen year old Evan. And think about what's on T V at that time. Oh, he got he got it all the time. It was a no and now his son looks like him. Drawing a blank. I'll give you a hint. Ready? What would you do if I sang out of tune? Just stand up and walk out on me. He's, he's, he's a savage? That's right. <laughs> he looks Fred. just like Fred Savage. Oh, well, then let Freddie get him then. Sure. He's grown up now. He's grown up. We need a grown-up for a grown-up role. Right. Another guy who became a director, Fred Savage. Fred Savage directs a lot of stuff, a lot of TV. He does. Uh, How did I miss that? That that one got by me. (laughs) Talk to your people. You got headless. I got to talk to my people. Problem. Uh... I like Giovanni Ribisi, too, for Dr. Erased That. This is great that we're casting a movie people have no idea what we look like. Right. That's right. This is very interesting. So now two things we got to put up on the website tomorrow. The, uh, pictures of us and pictures of... Uh, I see Room 235. You see that new uh, Hemingway movie on HBO? Ribisi's in that. He's unrecognizable. Really? Oh, yeah. I would see that movie. Isn't uh, Kidman in that? Kidman is nice doing her doing her best. I could have been a classical actress. <sighs> that that sort of you know that body language that jumps off of her. Can I propose another uh, Cal, please? Sure. And he's got a uh, a TV show coming on this year where he plays a uh, sports talk show host. Matt Perry, come on. Matthew Perry. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah, I, I got, I got that all the time in the Friends heyday. Mm-hmm. You, you have the, uh, all you're missing is, could I be talking about more sports? I well, you know. God, Giamatti, I'm looking at you, Peach. Nailed it. Does that's, he? That's perfect. Who do we get to direct? Um, <laughs> Savage. Penny Marshall. Let's get Penny Marshall. I tell you, I don't want Henry Winkler. <laughs> Although Penny Marshall be uplifting, <laughs> a little life affirming at the end. How about Ruffalo for you? Ruffalo is good for Cal. You don't like Ruffalo though. Don't care from one bit. I don't like him either. He's from the the uh, uh, Lipper, you know, Skull School of Acting. Everybody's got a, him and Seth Rogen always have a lipper in. How is that possible? I talked about it a couple of weeks ago on the show, and then we watched uh, uh, the. We movie. talked about Gabe Jarrett, right? Who? Gabriel Jarrett. Who the that? Kid from uh, um, Real Genius. Turns up in Apollo 13, and you can see him in every scene. He's chewing gum. <laughs> what? Come on, we didn't talk about that? I thought I had brought that up once. No. You've got to watch Apollo 13. That's right. You I... must watch Apollo 13, and then you start to look at Mission Control, and you're like, who is this guy with his foot up on the control panel 
in the background of every scene, and he's munching on gum like, nah, 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 nah. yeah, what you're saying is good, Ed Harris. Nah, 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 nah. He's fantastic. And you stare at him, and all of a sudden you go, oh, my God, that's the guy from Real Genius. Oh, my God. Yep. Mitch from Real Genius. Right. Gabe Jarrett. Gabe Jarrett. Wow. And he, you know, he he got himself noticed. Are there are there maybe 10, 12 really good lines to pull out of Real Genius? <laughs> yeah, I, there there are, right? Real Genius Real is Genius an excellent, is excellent movie. Great. Solid. Very, very solid. Atherton at his douchiest. Very. Oh. Mm-hmm. And Val Kilmer at the height of his comedic powers. He really had a whole career ahead of him. As like Ryan Reynolds from 1985. <laughs> That's a great comparison. Yeah, what did he I mean? Really, what what happened? What happened over there, Val? I'm telling you right now, he's a diva. It was the Doors, wasn't it? He's he is very difficult to work with, and he's a head case. People don't want to work with him. I think that's it. And now he's been reconstructed. He's he's starting to get the Mickey Rourke look. It's no good. That's right. And now he's trying to her in sort of like Alec Baldwin fashion. Right. Which he probably could do because, guys, the secret is – guys, I keep saying that. Like, you guys are not paying attention to me. This, guys, guys, listen. Uh, it is that he's a good actor. He is a good actor. He's a very, I'm telling you, he's a very solid actor. And he's got comedic no, – he did, he did a great comedic turn in a movie that you guys refused to watch. MacGruber. <laughs> you guys won't watch MacGruber. I don't know why. It's disgusting. You're going to have to watch it, yeah. See, that's it's disgusting. It's psychotic. Psychotic. It's it's just... Man. You're just... You're not ready. It's like... It's like uh, Sister Shakedown playing Abacab. Uh, that's right. All on a keyboard. That's it. Well, and they're daring, too. They play it in 4-4. Four, four. That's right. They never go to 5-4 or 11-5, ever. Forget they the keyboard. They, they wheel out the piano and do it right on the piano. They don't even have a Moog. <laughs> it's got a Moog. Andy Moog? The goaltender? All right. Moogie? Let's wrap this thing up. Moogie. <laughs> That's not enough. <laughs> Moogie. He had to be Moogie, right? Had to be. Oh, yeah. yeah. Of course he was. No doubt. Uh, all right. That's it. Aaron. Final episode. Final cap. Final cap. I, uh, I just wanted to know I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be trying some, uh, some bath salts. So, uh, you know, keep an eye on me. I'm going to try not to chew off my family's faces, but uh, I got—I just got to see what this is all about. Yeah, I can't even talk about the face chewing off thing. Let's, let's move on. I'm going to pretend you didn't say that. Yeah, well, you know, as a show, we're against it. All right? How about that? Come out strong. The views expressed are not necessarily those of Ready to Unload affiliates. In this case, it's absolutely. That's well sure. I'm never going to get Giamatti now that I've come up pro basketball. Damn it. Cal, final cap. 
<laughs> Final alert. Hey, WABC New York, ABC TV in New York. Uh, thanks a lot for putting up a graphic last night uh, talking about the Stanley Cup Finals. Islanders versus Kings. I saw that. Thanks a lot. As if we don't, as if we don't have enough pain. Rub it in. Rub it in. And my uh, final unload uh, is to uh, Jeff Kaplan. I I I'm, I'm again uh, from the Greenland. Yes, guy from SuchSuchAN.com. And yes, there. Great, great Jet article that every Jet fan. I want to thank got an invite him on Twitter a couple weeks ago. I uh, about the game. apologize for that. Glad to be able to hash that out. And uh, it really is a tremendous project. Uh, so, alright. We will uh, see you guys next week for an episode for Brian Calvi and PJ Cachopo. Good night, everybody. <laughs>